Good morning. I feel like you guys are pretty lucky because you're way out there. I don't get to spit on anybody on the front row. Who sits on the front row on the inside? Raise your hand. All right. Okay. Miss Cindy and her crew over there, her little posse. All right. Well, it's so good to be here. I was given a parameter to stand. So if I go outside of that and you go to share this with somebody later off of Facebook Live, it wasn't the rapture. I'm coming back. No worries. So uh, it is such a pleasure to be here. I love Ben. I love Le Pastor Ben. I love Pastor Leslie. I've known them for about 15 years, and they've just become <clears throat> really special to my heart. I know their heart in ministry. I know their heart for hurting people and lost souls and the brokenness of this world. So this is a, about the third or fourth time that I've gotten to come and speak for them, and it's a pleasure. So I guess Pastor Ben's been in a series. I really don't do series too well. So I'm going to have to ask you to track with me a little. But um, Pastor Ben has been in a series called Sailing Through the Storm. And to me, it kind of sounds like, like you're just skating through life a little bit. I don't know how to sail through a storm. I know how to survive one. But I don't necessarily always know how to sail through it with such grace and such ease and such peace. So today we're going to sharpen one another as I've studied for this message and I get to bring it to you. Please know that the Lord was pouring it into me because I will fail on the daily. Do I have any failings out there on the daily with trying to get through the storms? Yeah, I'm one of those preachers that I really like for you to interact with me. Otherwise, you're not going to lunch. Because I'm going to have to try to pull it out of you, then I have to do it twice. So I'm a hoot and a holler. I mean, I, hey, you know what? We're in Kentucky. I was going to take my shoes off and stand up here, but the, the uh, it's hot. So I wasn't going to stand on the asphalt too hot. But I did wear my sandals, and I'm so grateful. I was praying so much about what to say today. Pastor Ben asked if I would come and kind of tell everybody what it's like to be in anguish to understand that God cares for you. He cares for you. And it's so cliche in the church. We know the scripture, cast all your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you. And that word all means all. Doesn't mean some, doesn't mean here and there, doesn't mean I get to choose what I want to give to him, what I want to keep for myself. It means all. But I don't know how to give him my all sometimes because we live in a fallen world right now and it is so broken out, out amongst the community that so many people are falling to the wayside and the people in the church are getting more and more and more exhausted. I love Habakkuk. Habakkuk? You say it how you want to. It says, he, he was crying out to God, saying, God, how much longer do I have to watch this insanity in our world? It is tearing me up on the inside. And God said, I can't tell you that because even if I did tell you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me. But I'm going to do great things. This is different. You have to give me some grace. So that's what I want to bring to you today. 
Who has not heard my testimony? Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Thank you for coming to this church. Thank you for giving your all to this church. It's so nice to see a lot of new faces, even though I can't see you at all, um, because it is super sunny out there. So I'm going to give a little bit of my story, and I'm going to give you some principles of how to cry out in anguish and not give up on the fact that God cares for you. I was raised in a typical dysfunctional family. My dad was a severe alcoholic. My mom was a severe abusive woman. And she would beat us so badly. She was such a broken woman. She would lock us out of the house at night while she had people over for her entertainment. My dad would come in and beat her and leave. And this was the first 11 years of my life. During that 11 years, I was actually molested by one of my uncles. And I didn't have that family that I could go to him, to them, and approach them and say, hey, this is happening to me. I think I need some help. Nobody would believe me because it was just normal activity in my family. By the time I'm 11 years old, I'm acting out. I'm a full-blown alcoholic myself. I had found the wrong crowd, and I ended up in foster homes. In and out of the system at 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I'm in and out of that system, and I'm making waves in my small town. Everybody knew my name. Everybody knew what I was about, and I carried that reputation with me for years and years. I ended up quitting school and running away from home at 15 years old. I didn't have a family that cared again, and in that they said, bye, Jennifer, do what you want. It's really okay. So having only reached the eighth grade in education, 15 years old, I ran away from a small town much like this to a large town called Chicago, Illinois. There I got involved in gang life. I got involved with more drugs. I got involved with a scene that was so attractive to me because it fed the brokenness on the inside of me. When I came out of that city, Chicago, it turned winter, got really cold, went back to Florida. And, but that didn't change my mindset. I ended up homeless in Gainesville, Florida, married, divorced, married, divorced twice by the time I was 24 years old to men that were twice my age. I wasn't looking for a daddy. I was just looking for acceptance. I was looking for anyone that could accept me for the messed up person that I was. I was already using every kind of drug known to mankind. And now I was introduced what would become, they say, my drug of choice, which was crack cocaine. At 24 years old, I was sold by my sister-in-law to a trafficker and ended up divorcing my second husband and homeless in Gainesville, Florida. Go Gators. I heard it. Okay. One person. There's your real Kentucky fan. But anyway, um, so I was homeless in the streets of Gainesville, Florida for eight years. And in that eight years, so much happened to me. Everything that you can imagine that would happen on the streets, it did happen. It happened in a way that I thought this was normal. There was nothing that told me, hey, Jen, your life is really jacked up. You need to get out of that. You need to find help. You need to do this to make your life different. No, this was normal. This was normal for me. 
When I was 31 years old, I found myself locked in a closet, not being able to do the things that the streets required of me to do anymore. I had traffickers. I had pimps. I had abusers. I had people that were out for my life. I had three felony warrants for my arrest, and I was finally, at 31 years old, scared to death. I was done. I was 80 pounds. I had matted up hair, rotten teeth. I took Brillo pads to clean my feet. I locked myself in a closet and cried out to a God I didn't even know. And I thank God that the one true God is the one who answered me. And he said, finally, Jennifer, I can do something with you. Now, now that's, that was normal life. That wasn't anguish. That was not anguish. That was not figuring out that God cares for me. That was simply figuring out there is a God and he is real. I cried out for help and he was willing to help me. That's all that that taught me in that closet other than I believe that's when I received Christ for my Savior. I walked into a church, though, and I wore the streets head to toe. I had rotten teeth, sores all over my face, knotted up hair. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see all of those pictures, and you'll be, there is no way that's the same woman. There's no way. But it is. There is a way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Because when I yielded to him in that closet, I learned how to cry out there, but also for the next 20 years of my life. I walked out of that closet, and November will be 20 years, and I have cried more as a Christian than I ever did pre-Christ. I have fought so many battles to stay where I am at, on the right track, on a forward motion. The Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. And a lot of people in the church forget about that. Yeah, it's a little hot. That's okay. If y'all don't mind me drinking water, I don't mind me drinking water. <clears throat> the Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. And so often in a church, not this one, and I'm so grateful to know Ben and Leslie so well, but so often in a church, anytime someone stumbles, the Christians kick them while they're down. So it's the saddest thing you could ever see. I have seen in 20 years so many people come in and out, in and out, in and out because Christians judge their stumble. Let me give you a shocker. I was not perfect on day one. I had to learn how to get on my knees and pray. I had to learn how to fall on my face and pray to a living God for help when drugs chased me, when men chased me, when the lifestyle chased me, when the cops chased me and I still had warrants for my arrest and I was too scared to turn myself in but finally did. It's okay if there are any officers out here, I'm good. But um, I, I had to learn all of these things and it took so much time. And the Lord gave me that time to learn this gift of crying out to him. If you've ever watched the um, sermon Anguish by David Wilkerson, if you've never watched the sermon by David Wilkerson called Anguish, A Call to Prayer, please go watch that message. I am going to shred it terribly, but I'm going to give it my best go today. As a Christian, I have begged the Lord to deliver me and set me free from so many things. It's really easy to know I need deliverance from drugs. 
It's really easy to know that I need deliverance from beds. It's really easy to know that I may need deliverance from my foul mouth or bad attitude. But it's not always so easy to know that I need deliverance from my pride because I don't think you're measuring up to my standard. And that is the one thing that the church is lacking today is measuring, let, uh, helping people understand that God's standard is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And when we cry out, we have family members that are plagued with drugs. We have family members that are plagued with, uh, plagued with alcoholism, homelessness, drug addiction, prostitution, uh, just anger. And we get so tired, so tired of fighting for that family member that we completely dismiss them. And David Wilkerson says in his message, in that sermon, Anguish, have you ever fallen on your face? Have you spent as much time on your face praying for that family member as you have sat, sitting in front of your TV or scrolling through social media? I get that. I have two adopted children from the foster care system in Florida, and my son is so broken inside. I've had him for eight years, and he's still so broken almost as day one, and I want to give up, and I say things that I shouldn't say as a preacher, as an, a minister, as a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit. I say the things that he, he does not need to hear. And I get tired, and I, I say, I'm just going to decompress. I'm going to check out for a little bit, and I go get on Facebook, and I start scrolling when I really need to go get on my face and start praying. And I'm not saying that everybody hasn't done that or somebody hasn't done that for your family member, and maybe you haven't seen any results. What I'm telling you is there's a very real enemy out there, and his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy that person and your prayer. Because sometimes you are the only prayer that that person is going to ever have in their life. My sister Lisa, the Lord, she, she's Baptist, God love her, at least she's saved. But she would get on her face. The Lord would wake her up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., get up, pray for Jennifer, get up, pray for Jennifer. She is the only family member that ever prayed for me. And I know that I'm standing here today as a result of those prayers. It wasn't, it wasn't a quick fix, but she obeyed the Lord every single time he said pray. And so often we say, I've already prayed. I'm done praying. I just give it to you, God. That's not what he's saying to do. He's saying you've got to pray. You've got to press in more and more and more and more because the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And just like God is no respecter of person, neither is he. He'll take the pastor's child and turn them into the prostitute. He'll take the doctor and turn them into a drug addict. He does not care. It's so easy <clears throat> to be complacent in our life. And I, this is just how life is going to be. This is normal. Always been a drunk, always going to be a drunk. Always been poor, always going to be poor. Honey, I used to eat out of garbage cans, literally. I would jump in the dumpster at Five Star Pizza at midnight so I could get some garlic rolls after not eating for eight and nine days. I know what it's like to be hungry. I am no, I'm not hungry. Well, I am hungry today. I'm going to go eat today. 
But I know what it's like to be so full that I'm just like I'm a female, so I'm constantly on a diet because I'm constantly eating. And I think it's like our culture says, oh, you got to be this. You got to be skinny. You got to be this. And I'm like, oh, I got to measure up to society. No. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be full. I know what it's like to have lack. And I know what it's like to have more than I need. Like Leslie put in her post, shaken down, pressed together, overflowing. I'm so burdened for our community. If the Lord can take this little girl from Trenton, Florida, originally, from Trenton, Florida, one traffic light, quit school in the eighth grade, ran away, married and divorced twice by the time she's 24, has a teenage pregnancy and a 21-year drug addiction, and meet her in a closet and completely change her life around to be able to stand right here today to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, he can do it for anyone. And there is no reason that we need to give up on our families. There's no reason we need, there's nothing wrong with boundaries. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of boundaries. But make sure it's the standard because the Lord leaves the 99 for the one and he tarries that none would perish. So make sure your standard is meeting up with his standard because if that person goes to hell because you said that person's just going to go to hell, then there's, there's a problem. You don't have to let them know you're praying for them. But you do have to let the Lord know that you'll never give up on them. And I don't know what boundary that looks like. I know that some of you have been seriously wounded because I was that wounder. I walked out of my son's life when he was four years old. I never spoke to him. I never saw him. His daddy moved him from Florida to Kentucky. That's how I ended up here. For eight years, I never saw that kid. For eight years, he cried out to God for his mommy. When he was 12 years old and I got saved, the Lord reunited us. And he is my absolute best friend today I just imagine if he would have stopped crying out to God I just imagine if my sister would have said uh, it's 3 a.m. I'm not getting up I, I would be dead I wouldn't be standing here at 51 years old I wouldn't be standing here in Vanceburg Kentucky trying to stir you up with anguish that God cares for you but also cares for those who have hurt you. So my uncle that molested me at seven years old, I say 27, I really don't know how old I was. And I understand the little ears, so I'm going to need the adults to get between the lines. He used to come and be my customer many, many times. When I walked into that closet and met Jesus Christ, and I walked out of that closet, a saved woman, that very same God asked me to go to that very same uncle and lead him to the Lord, and I obeyed. I forgave him, and I gave him over to Christ. I didn't have a relationship with him. He is now deceased, but in heaven, living eternally with a God who says, I love you. I care for you. Some of you... In a crowd this size, 
You've had your own struggles. You've had your own doubts, your own fears. You've cried out, no answer. You've cried out, no answer. You've cried out, no answer. And the Lord would say to you, remain faithful. Do not doubt. Ask me to remove any unbelief that you have, and I will. Because the enemy wants to control your thoughts, control your mind, which inevitably controls your actions. And he wants you to stop praying for that person. He wants you to stop praying for you. I pray for me every day. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, guide me according to your will. You ordain the steps of the righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I will mess up real quick. But I've learned that life of repentance through my journey. I've learned to let go of that shame. I've learned so much, and so much has happened as a Christian. I held my mom's ha hand, who beat me for years, locked me out of the house so she could have been over at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning in the woods and just roaming through the woods. Blood running down my body from the, from the beating switches. Kids don't have no idea today. But I got to hold her hand. I got to pray with her before that for her to receive Christ. My mom washed my feet. She washed my feet on her deathbed because she wanted to. And she felt like it was obeying the Lord. I held her hand when she took her last breath. Broke my heart because I never, I never had that relationship with her. And I so longed for it. But now I know she's in heaven. And any of my longings, that would trump them greatly. That she would have an eternity with a good, good God. Rather than the hell that's here on earth. My son's father, he died suddenly. I was raped as a Christian. There's so many things that have happened to me. I got married. I waited 14 years to give my life, my heart, my, my mind, my future, my calling to a great man. And the Lord provided, only to find out that that man was a closet abuser. And I found him on top of my son, beating my son up. Honey, I'm not that lonely. I packed my stuff and I left that day. This is how you get through that cry of anguish to really see, because I don't question God anymore. It's no more, God, why? Why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? God, why didn't you prevent this from happening? God's not my magic little genie in a bottle. He, he gives me the opportunity to listen, and then when I listened in retrospect, he gave me red flag after red flag that I wasn't willing to listen to. So I got on my face and I repented, and then I said, okay, I'm going to take my season of healing. And I want to talk to you about a season of healing for a few minutes because the Bible says that there is a season for everything. There's a season for tears and there's a season for joy. I'm the worker. I'm going to get up and do something every single day of my life. I believe that um, faith without action is dead. It is dead. 
So when that divorce happened, it was meant to kill, steal, and destroy my ministry and me and my family and anything I stood for. I struggled. I cried. I got severely depressed. I got on medication for depression. I sat in my bedroom. I'd go to work, come home, go to work, come home, lost that job, lost that job, lost that job. My behavior was no different than when I was on the streets. So I finally just stopped getting jobs and lived off my credit cards. And then I found myself tens of thousands of dollars in debt, still divorced, still depressed, still lonely, still questioning God. And then he gave me this vision to ask the right question. God, help me again. Again. And again. And again. And he said, okay, pack up. You're moving back to Kentucky. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) great. I would say I'm happy now because I love the winter, even though I'm sweating right now. But that's okay. It's making me think of Florida. And I I love Florida too. But he said, pack up. You're moving to Kentucky. I'm going to do a new thing in you, Jennifer. I didn't believe him, but I still obeyed him. I still obeyed that nudge in my spirit that said, go. Go, I'm going to do a new thing. And for some of you, the Lord has said, go. I'm going to do a new thing, but you're so used to the patterns of your life. I was so used to ministry in Gainesville, Florida, that I didn't even know how to survive outside of it. I had to have that fall in my life so I could learn a brand new way, a brand new thing, because everything is for a season. I get to Kentucky, and I'm still taking my medicine, and then I get on stronger medicine because now I miss my friends, and I miss my church, and woe is me, and poor me, and all of these things. And then the Lord said, oh, my, I mean, I don't know how he talks to you, but he said to me, buck up, cupcake. You're being a drama queen, like for real. And I, ha- I had to stop for a second. I'm like, the devil is a liar. And the Lord said, it's not the devil, it's me. And I'm like, okay. I believed that it was him. And I just started doing the small things. I didn't have to take life at a big leap to make all the changes. So instead of going to work and coming home and getting in my bed, I would get in my recliner in the living room. Hey, it's different. Right? Right? It's different. It's the small steps. And I started writing down the things that I needed to do to overcome agreement with depression. Hey, I'm with you. I feel you. I want to pray with you. This is not a knock on that. I just weaned myself off my depression medicine a month ago. I've been on it for four years. I feel like the Lord says now is the time. Get on your face in anguish. Get on your face and cry out to me because I'm your healer. I'm your deliverer. I'm your redeemer. I'm your future, Jennifer. And if you keep dependent on these things, this is maybe a word for somebody. Take it to prayer. But this is what he was saying to me. This is my story. Jennifer, if you look back at all the good things that have happened to you, because I had gotten in the pattern of looking at all the bad things that happened to me, because, I mean, who's going to want me? I was a prostitute. Finally, a doctor married me and then divorced me, and it looked bad on me, and I made it all about me. 
And I had to turn that around and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to let you have this one, okay? Like, I'm going to let you have this one. I'm not going to let the enemy take it. And so all of these bad things that had happened, and I'm highlighting, 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 highlighting it. The Lord said, Jennifer, what have I done for you? And he had me write out a list of all the great things that he's done for me. One, he's given me my son back. Two, I'm a convicted felon, and I just adopted two people from the foster care system. That doesn't happen. I've started three nonprofits, and they're still going today. There's like, it's not all about me. I want to equip that and send out, equip that and send out, equip that and send out. I was on the most wanted list with the reward for my capture when I was on the streets. Three years ago, I got a call from the national FBI director and said, Jennifer Beagle, we want to recognize you by flying you into Washington, D.C. to the Capitol, the J. Edgar Hoover building, to receive a national award for your community leadership. And this is a person that has quit school in the eighth grade, still no education. I did get ordained in the Assemblies of God. That was a lot, and I love it. I'd do it all over again if I had the opportunity, but I don't have to because I already did it. It's done. But this is a girl that society said you will never measure up. You will never be anything. You will always be a product of your past. And something inside of me said no. I want to be a product of the king. I want to be a product of the creator. I want to be a product of the God who says, with him, all things are possible. I don't have to struggle every day of my life. I may have to get on my face, and I may have to cry out to him, and I may have to ask, and I ask for affirmation all the time, God, do you really love me? Because this person doesn't love me, and sometimes that can project on me that you don't love me. Do you really love me? Like, can you show me God? Yep, I'm asking for a sign of your love. He can handle that. You're not going to hell if you ask for that. God, do you show me how you care for me? Show me God. Sometimes he does it in tangible ways. Sometimes he does it when your tears are crying and streaming down your face so thick that you can't even breathe. Because you're laying in your bed at night going, why? Why did my life have to be like this? And God, with his tangible touch, will come and hold you and love on you and give you peace. And that is my key. I'm I'm a racer. I'm a runner. I'm a do this, do that kind of person. I work for an organization right now where we go and take teens out of sex trafficking and exploitation and I will run into the trenches. People ask me all the time, aren't you scared? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not scared even in the slightest because I know that my God goes before me. And if I die, I die obeying the Lord, period. It burdens me to see a church come and meet on Sunday mornings and go home. See you next week. What about the other six days? What about the people dying going to hell? What about the the, the little girl that herself is getting raped? What about the boy that is snatched in the back of a U-Haul? It does happen, not often. What about the man who skipped out on child support, beat his wife to a pulp, been living in the streets for decades so he doesn't have to catch up any of that, won't get a job, won't give up his addiction. What about him? 
Does he qualify for God's standard? Yes. Just like my uncle did. These are the ways that I know that God cares for me. And these are the way that I know that God cares for you. Is he gives you the courage, the bravery, the, um, the strength to actually get on your face and cry out. To actually say, God, do you care for me? God, could you show me how you care for me? He's pretty faithful in doing that. So don't just go to church, even if it's just you. I know with COVID, everything is shutting down, and you can't go here, and you can't go there, and all these things. Okay, whatever. All right. We don't submit to the government, but we yield to its laws to honor God. But I can get on my face, and I can pray, and I can pray, and I can pray. God, I am isolated. I'm, I'm very much an extrovert. Isolation crushes me it crushes me to the core and the fact of another shutdown just rips my heart out of my chest and throws it down I have been on my face God you know my needs you know your people's needs you know your people's needs in Afghanistan you know your people's needs in Haiti you know your people's needs in Vanceburg you know your people's needs in America And you can meet us right where we are at. And that's how we know you care. I love what I get to do today. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love being able to tell people not to give up on yourself, not to give up on others, not to give up on um, believing that there is a good God end There's always a, if someone dies and they're saved, it is God. They're going to heaven. If someone breaks a leg, if someone gets in an accident, if someone loses a job, if someone loses a marriage, God will take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around for his glory as we seek how he cares for us in that situation. There's a couple scriptures that I wanted to read to you before I close. That I really, you know, we get so numb to the scriptures. I don't even know how that happens, but we do. They become cliche to us. They become what church people say. Oh, um, the Lord is good. He's so good. What's the, how's it go? I don't even know how it goes right now. I can't even think. Uh, I say it, you say it back, whatever. Okay. You'll get it later. So will I. I'll post it on your Facebook page. God continually calls us to come to him with our burdens and find rest for our souls. So if you're burdened, but you're not resting, go to Jesus Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. 1 Peter 5, 7, he invites us to cast our worries on him because he cares for us. Such a common scripture, such a common scripture. How do you cast your anxieties on the Lord? Um, There's as many ways as there are people, but my strong advice is be still. Be still, tell the Lord, okay, I'm going to sit here. I have a lot of anxiety, so I don't know how long I'm going to sit here. But I'm going to sit here 
and I'm going to tell you about my anxieties. And I'm going to believe that you hear me. And I'm going to believe that you deliver me. And then I'm going to believe that you're going to rise me up to help others. Because to me, if you ask Jennifer, how do I do this? How do I get out of anxiety? How do I get out of trauma? How do I get out of addiction? How do I get out of you fill in the blank? I would say serve others. Serve others. That's what Jesus did. He came to serve not to be served, but our culture has turned it around. Your body, your choice. You're right. You're right. So I choose to honor my body with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body, your choice. You can do whatever you want. It's your future. No, it's not. If you take that future into your own hands because you can do it better, you're going to fail every single time. Look to the Lord. Sit down and say, okay, the scriptures say you got a hope in a future for me, and it is good. So what is it, God? What is that future? He invites us to come to his throne and ask for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. God, if you don't give me mercy and grace, I just might kill that 16-year-old in my home. I promise I have a 30-year-old and I have a 16-year-old. And folks, times are different. Times are different raising our kids today. There's so much battle. There's so much battle coming against them. They're not even coming to the families to divide the families anymore. Satan's coming directly to the children to jack them up. And we need to be on our face praying for them. And I was repenting on my way here today. Man, I am not pleased with how I treated my son yesterday. Coming to preach the gospel today, I am not pleased. So I spent some time repenting on the way here. Took me all night and morning. Okay, I'm sorry, God. I need your grace, and I need your mercy, and I need it over my son. He will be our comforter in sorrow when our heart is faint, Jeremiah 8, 18. He offers strength when we are weak, Philippians 4, 13. We like to quote that a lot. I just want to know who believes it. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If you're bitter, ask for your heart to be broken. Ask for your heart to be broken for this situation all over again. It's okay. It's okay. You're going to cry some extra tears. You're going to be on your face a little longer. It's okay. It's really okay. You're going to live each and every one of these days anyway. You're going to live each and every one of these minutes anyway. What are you going to live them doing? Are you going to live them in your bitterness and your dysfunction and your doubt? Or are you going to cry out to the Lord to break your heart, fill you with the spirit, and then make you whole so you can help others as well? So we're going to play a song here in just a minute um that's the song we're gonna play in a minute and um, you're gonna see a victory if you cry out to the lord if you let him know of your challenges and your struggles he already knows he's god he wants to hear it from you because there's a confession with that if you tell him these things god i just do not like this person and sometimes it's me be raw. We've gotten so churchy. We've gotten so churchy. Take off that mask. Take off that cloak. And tell the Lord, I want to see a victory. I want to see 
what you are going to do in my life. I'm challenging you, God. The fact that I've eaten out of garbage cans and now I'm 100 pounds overweight, the fact that I was homeless on the streets with warrants for my arrest every time I was out of jail, I have a three-page arrest record getting flown into D.C.? When the FBI called me, I'm like, nah, bro, I don't know, nothing. I didn't do it, and I don't know who did, you know? And they're like, no, it's okay, this is good. I'm like, okay. Man, I'm not standing up here preaching to you because of my past. It's so easy for people to think that. Oh, she's got a story. So she can get up there and encourage people. No, you've walked away hearing the wrong message. I'm standing up here because I said yes to Jesus Christ. And I will say yes every time I stumble, every time I fall, every time I fear, I will still say yes to Jesus Christ because I want to see the victory. I want to know that the latter house, there was some poor things going on. At former house, there were some poor things. But my latter house, the later parts of my life will always be better than the former. Always even the good parts. I have a girl that I've mentored for a year. She OD'd on heroin. Her seven-year-old daughter found her and her mom OD'd on heroin. CPS got involved, state got involved, this got involved, that got involved. She lost her kids. She, she gave her life to Christ, mentored her for a year. Every single person in her family is saved today. Her dad is delivered from heroin. Her mom is delivered from heroin. The daughter that found her is back in her custody, and she is saved and baptized today. There is nothing you can do to tell me that God won't do it for you. He needs to do it in you and then through you. Will you let him? Will you let him? I don't know where the altar is here at all, but I know where the altar is here. And I would ask that you visit the altar of your heart and you ask Jesus where you have been bitter, where you have been doubtful, where you have been mean toward people because you got exhausted. And that's understandable. But ask Jesus to show you and then ask him to turn that around because I'm out here running, I'm crushing demons left and right every day and I need some help. I need some help to come alongside of me. I don't care if you got my story. It's not about me. It's about our source, Jesus Christ, and what we need to take into these streets, into Vanceburg and around, I don't know. Maybe we're on the county line, no idea. So cry out. God, do you care for me? God, show me my bitterness. God, help. And I promise, though it seems like he has tarried in your heart, he's waiting to answer you. He's faithful. So we're going to turn up this song, and we're going to end on a worship note. And I would ask that you visit the altar of your heart right here, right now. If you need to get in the grass and get on your knees, I mean, you can do it on the pebbles, but... I mean, I don't think that's very comfortable. We, I mean, I, I know it's America. We're too comfortable, but hey, um, do you.
whatever that looks like. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ alone, I speak the baptism of your Holy Spirit to fall in this place. I speak the baptism of anguish to fall in this place. Lord, would you rock our hearts? Would you set our feet on a path that pleases you in every single way? Spirit of bitterness, fall off in the name of Jesus Christ. Spirit of anger, fall off in the name of Jesus Christ. Spirit of lust, fall off in the name of Jesus Christ. I command your angels to surround this place in all of your ways, God. Knocking out demons, casting out demons, setting people on a trajectory that praises you from that mountain right there, God. You are faithful. Would y'all stand and worship? Thank you for letting me share my story today.